0: Hey, Dr. Me First listeners. Yes, I know it's a voice that you've only heard once or twice before. This is Kayla, Dr. Aaron's badass podcast editor, and she has been falling back into those workaholic tendencies that we all know and love, hence this podcast. So she has assigned herself some rest. She is taking some time away, and as such, you're listening to me. But here's the deal there's no guilt in this. You want to know why? Because Aaron and Dr. Jennifer Reed are talking all about the equation to bust guilt. So if you've been finding yourself leaning into those workaholic tendencies and realizing that you need to take a rest but feeling guilt over it, you need to stop right now and listen to this episode. Welcome to the podcast, my fellow physician, Dr. Jennifer Reed. It's great to have you here with me today. It's so great to be here, Erin. Thanks for inviting me. All right. Tell the people on Podcasting World a little bit about yourself and the magic you are putting out into the world. (laughs) So I'm a psychiatrist. I
1: work with adults primarily, treating a lot of anxiety, insomnia, depression, and work with a lot of physicians, honestly, in that capacity. And then had started during COVID and needing sort of an outlet to try and help in other ways, started my own podcast, which is called The Reflective Doc, and also some writing. I'm actually working on a book right now as a way to share some of that information a little bit more broadly. So that part's been really fun. I've always needed a creative outlet when I look back. And now now it's you know interviewing like you're doing here, which has been really, really terrific, and
0: then doing some writing. So that's me. We all need creativity in our life. And like to me, it got sucked out of my morrow. During, like, all the studying and the getting ready for the MCATs and, like, having to be super serious because you're going to be a doctor now. Mm -hmm. God. And I think about it. Like, how much cool stuff did I miss out in my 20s? Because I was doing what I was, quote, unquote, supposed to be.
1: Absolutely. I mean, my medical school had we put on musicals we did some shakespeare we did some cabaret you know theater and those were just the best times and such a nice balance because otherwise it was just overwhelming the amount of sort of memorization and regurgitation really was was wearing so that was helpful
0: and i think it's a good indicator too like when you can't get into creative space it's time to look around and be like what's going on here
1: mm-hmm hmm I absolutely agree. I think times where I've really, looking back, able to see in retrospect that I was burned out or struggling maybe even with depression was when I really couldn't access those. And they just didn't feel that good, or they weren't that interesting, or I just didn't feel like doing it. didn't feel like singing or whatever. That certainly is a time where I thought, okay, I need to make some changes.
0: Yeah. And it's so good to have those, what I call red flags for yourself mm-hmm. to know like All right. Something's not right here. I maybe don't know exactly what it is because so many times we just stick our head down in the sand and keep plowing through. Mm -hmm. So singing is yours? Like if you're not singing, then something's going on in life? It's one I notice. Like if I'm
1: not like singing in the shower or in the car or just like singing along in the kitchen, like – then I recognize, okay, like my energy's down, my interest is down a bit. I think I've channeled some of that into writing. So if I've really been writing for like two hours, I probably am not going to jump up and sing. But it definitely is kind of a red flag if I just don't feel like listening to music or enjoying it.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Well, the words you're bringing to us today is guilt. And I am so ready to like dig into this. So <laughs> tell me why you picked this word and, and what we're going to talk about. Absolutely. So, what I find is if something is really
1: either bothering me or I'm hearing it from all sorts of patients or people in my life and I don't know what to do about it or I don't know how to handle it, I like turn toward it and just start learning as much as I possibly can. And I think over the past, I mean, certainly with COVID, but even preceding that, the women in my life primarily as well as in my practice were having so much guilt, just excessive and intense amounts of guilt. And I really wasn't sure how to help with that. I wasn't even sure how to manage it in myself. And I was noticing no matter what I was doing, I was feeling guilty that I wasn't doing something else. So if I was seeing a patient, I was feeling guilty that I wasn't doing something with my child who happened to be home during COVID, for example, or if I had to keep my practice smaller because I was doing all the childcare, I felt really guilty that I wasn't seeing more patients, you know? And so what I've sort of come up with that helped me clarify, because I think I am. Pragmatically, I need like a concrete answer. And so I came up with an equation for guilt of all things. And my guilt equation is essentially guilt equals expectations minus reality. And so when I say expectations, what are we, what expectations are we putting on ourselves? Like, what's a good mother? What's a good psychiatrist? What's a good wife? What's a good body, et cetera, et cetera. And then also looking on the reality side of the things that we're already doing, the ways that we're already helping or contributing or the positive things we're doing. And how do we, by paying more attention to those, boost our awareness of them, boost their, their presence? And I think you can sort of use this across any aspect of guilt in your life and say, okay, I'm feeling really guilty maybe in my partnership, my relationship, because we're we're not spending enough time together and I must be a really bad wife because he's not on my mind that often and things are really busy. Well let's look first at expectations of that, right? What does it mean to be a good wife? Where am I even getting these ideas of expectations? Am I finding it on social media? Am I finding it from family members, et cetera? And how do I maybe want to shape that if it's not serving me so well anymore? And then in reality, what are the ways that I am connecting with him? I do bring him coffee in the morning, or we do sit down and have a conversation or watch some bad TV show together and laugh. So how can I kind of boost up that that side of things? And I've just found it to be a helpful construct as I've really been looking into you know, why we've evolved to even keep the idea of guilt
0: around. I think it's great. I wrote your equation down because I was like sitting here and picking it apart because so many times we have such inflated expectations on ourself you know that's where perfectionism comes in and being super type a and i've been lately saying have like five-year-old expectations is that a bad thing no i mean you still can get stuff done good enough is good enough but that's a hard mind shift on changing those expectations what have you done to help your patients your family yourself to I don't want to say downgrade because that sounds like a negative term, but like shore up expectations a little bit.
1: Well, I think that what's really important is understanding what has shaped those expectations and decide is this what I really want to see? Is this what's setting my value systems, right? We talk about body image, for example. If my expectation is I'm going to be this size, this size only, I'm going to only eat this way, I'm going to exercise this much, et cetera, et cetera, who's telling me? That that's the way I need to be setting those expectations. So I think first just getting a sense of like where did this come from? And how much of that do I really want to hang on to? Right. So really understanding the expectations. First it's just like what what do we have here? Right? What what is in front of us in our expectations? And are they, is it all serving us? Maybe it is. Maybe that really motivates you and it feels great. But in general, it's absolutely not the case. I think self-compassion, the work of Kristen Neff and others in how would I set this expectation if I were talking to a friend or sometimes really powerfully? What if one of my children came to me or some people haven't had kids yet? I'm like, imagine you had a child in the future, like a little girl and she came to you and it was expressing this sense of these expectations that you were holding. What would you say to her? How would you help her challenge those a little bit or, or rethink those? Like how might you speak to her? I guarantee it's going to be with more compassion and more curiosity and understanding than you give yourself And so I do think that self-compassion work has been really helpful in this regard. I think some of the work of uh, growth mindset with Dr. Dworkin, a, a PhD at Stanford, who really wrote about, okay, how can I learn from the situation at hand? And even if I feel like I'm not necessarily living up to those expectations, can I learn from that? Can I move forward from that? And can I get a sense of, okay, can I adjust these expectations to something that's more reasonable? And also addressing the fear that evokes, right? That anxiety or threat that evokes is if I don't set these really sky high expectations, I mean, women medicine, myself, my sister, she and I are always talking about this. Like if I don't set my expectations sky high, then I'm just going to stop. I'm just going to like lie in bed all day and like eat ice cream. I don't know what we think. We just think like if I don't push myself and punish myself and set these expectations that I'm going to just stop doing anything at all. And some of that is in the self-compassion work that Dr. Neff talks about. I think that's really important too. It's like, how are you threatening yourself? I have to keep these really high expectations or else. And I think that's been a helpful construct.
0: Yeah. What I tease out of that is a lot of like getting out of binary thinking. Like it has to be like this or it's total shit. It has to be like cranking it out a hundred or otherwise it's like zero Mm-hmm. And I think it's really starting to learn in the gray. And remember, there's like no expectation police. There's there's nobody that's going to come knock on your door if you do decide to stay in bed and eat ice cream all day. Like that might be a little therapeutic at times. Because <laughs> I find for myself and for many of the folks that I work that you get better at picking up that binary thinking. But then it starts to be more subtle and a little bit more tricky. And that's when I asked people, and we're not schizophrenic, but I'm like, whose voice is that in your head telling you that, like, you must show up and XYZ? Because maybe it's like an old professor or an attending. And, like, guess what? They probably are retired or dead or don't even give a fuck anymore. <laughs> but you still have that voice, like, resonating. I mean, I was seeing a patient the other day and just one of those, like, rando thoughts popped in my head. And I was like, No, I don't. I don't think so. Like I'm a grown ass doctor now. Like I can make my own decisions and I don't have to stay after till 9 p.m. to see people. So I think that's the thing to watch as well is once you figure out that instead of going a 100 or you're going to like be zero is like you said, like who is telling me this? What? Where did I like osmotically absorb that I must have a savings account fully stocked? That's my personal financial junk (laughs) 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 or that, or something is wrong because there's just so much gray in life.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I I sort of see this across the board. Parenting, it comes up a lot. The sense of the expectation you have for what a perfect mother would be is to never get frustrated, like never yell at your kids, never have a messy house. I mean, I think when we really consciously think about it, we all realize, of course, that's bunk. But we've absorbed that, right? We've absorbed that sense that this is what it means or a perfect relationship means we never fight. We just like hold each other's hand and we just look deeply into each other's eyes like all day long. It's just miraculous. Of course not. Like every, I talk about it like weather. Every relationship has some stormy weather. I mean, maybe you're living somewhere that has more moderate or mild weather than others, but this expectation that we never fight. And that's what a good relationship is because that gets you into trouble, right? You set those expectations and the first fight you have with someone maybe you feel really connected to and really want to move forward with, but that fight just feels so overwhelming because it it goes against this expectation of perfection in you know, communication and, and collaboration. So I just think it really does us a great disservice and the more we can identify it and start challenging it and let go of some of the ways we've had this fixed idea of what a good you know, insert word here is, I think that can be really helpful.
0: Oh my gosh. I was just listening to podcast yesterday. It's called Witch Please. It is a reboot on Harry Potter. It's two amazing Canadian women rereading it. They're literary scholars. And so, I feel like I'm always in like a great literary class whenever I listen to, but anyway, they were talking about the trope of motherhood and looking at all the different mothers in the Harry Potter series. And one of them, they named like the angel in the home. And that's the like perfect mother who has like a pie baking when the kids come home and the house is spotless. And, you know, she does all the things and she's like vacuuming with a smile on her face and that, and like breaking that down was so fun and listening to that podcast because then, and, and think about it as well. Like, petunia um harry potter's aunt you know she's like a bad mom and and breaking that down and so i think it is really interesting when we can find characters like that because i know even listening to that podcast last night i could see in ways that where our brain and society and and conditioning puts us into these tropes using a literary term that we think that's what our expectations are built on it's like no 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 motherhood can look however you want it to look and mm-hmm. it and also like you don't have to have motherhood and that's totally fine you can be a woman you can, you can be a mother and not be a woman and and so really like pulling all that down but anyway if anybody is nerdy like me it like i said it's which please i forget what ep- it's just the motherhood episode it just recently came out here in september so yeah because And I think that's the really fun thing when you're in a space where you can explore and you can get creative and you can maybe see an alternative view to how you've always been like, well, this is how we've always done it. And this is the right, quote unquote, right way. But that's so hard when you're burned out or like when you're grinding at work or you have a sick kid or you got another COVID infection in your house and you're quarantining. What would you say to the folks that are listening out there who they're like, but I just I just can't seem to get over these expectations that I have for myself? Well, I think I mean, speaking
1: directly to women in medicine, I mean, in my situation, my mother stayed home with us. My father was a physician, so working a lot. And so I sort of idealized her version of the homemaker, right? Every recipe she would cook for us every day and be there when we got home from school. Lots and of casseroles. <laughs> yes, exactly. And she was, you know, my dad was working and, and away from the home. And I think as many women probably have experienced in this role is that I'm trying to be both of those people now, right? I'm trying to be like baking with my kids and planning fun activities and reading to them and just dancing like nobody's watching and like, you know, like all this perfect stuff. And I'm also still trying to be an engaged, interactive, you know, professional, keeping up with the journal articles physician. And I think when I just start to look at that combination, it's sort of like, of course, of course I can't do all of this. Where can I start to let some things slide? And some of it, frankly, might just be some like general exposure therapy, like letting a little bit more of a mess happen or just not doing something absolutely perfectly and then just give it a moment's pause, see if the sky falls, right? Right. But we're all, I think, so afraid. We've had to work, let's be honest, we've had to work harder probably than our male peers, perform better than them. And so we're at this point where it's like, I can't let up. This is how I actually, this is how I do it. This is what's gotten me here. And like, okay, let's dig inside of that and really see like, what is it about you that got you here? It's your connection with people. It's your willingness to like, work through really difficult times on sleep deprivation, maybe postpartum and trying to breastfeed and trying to pump, et cetera, et cetera, like recognize all the strengths that women carry and the unique ways they bring this to medicine. But that might mean if they are a woman in medicine, that they're going to do things differently than someone who's primarily a physician and has someone else taking care of things at home or someone who's primarily taking care of things at home, but not also seeing patients. And so I think this, this combination is really important to examine and start to say, what can I, is there anything I can relinquish, even in a small way, right? Can I not look at things that either I'm exercising perfectly seven days a week, or I'm just, I'm, you know, lazy and a slob and awful and blah, 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 all the ways we talk to ourselves. So I think that's something I've been talking to women in medicine a lot about, or women who are just trying to maintain really high level professional roles. It's, it's too much to expect.
0: Yeah. So I tell people, I know you're a science nerd, just like me. And so let's do some experiential research and set if-then statements. Like, if the laundry doesn't get done by me, then will the world fall down? Or if I ask for help, then will my mood improve? proof and so like literally running your own little research study on yourself and like the microcosm of your home and seeing how it works because it's pretty scary the first time to start making changes when you're not giving a hundred percent of your all because it does feel so scary like the world is going to fall around you but then I think as you like do those things I know when I first got somebody to help clean the house I was like cleaning the house before they came to clean the house and then I just realized like no, actually like that's their job and they love helping me do it. And I give them money to do this and it's okay that I have like let go of that expectation. My house can't be a total dumpster fire when the cleaners come over and they're, they totally expect it to be. I mean, that's why they are there. Mm-hmm. So that's what I think too. And what I tell a lot of my coaching clients is like, let's just try something. And then, like you said, my next assignment usually is like, let's let's go into something knowing you're going to do it imperfect. Like, you're just going to do it good enough. And a lot of times that's like around charting. We want to write the like great American novel in our notes. Ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> You know, I mean, it needs to just be good enough and serve the purpose and like reminding ourselves, like, what's the purpose of a note? It is to remind me of what this visit was about and my plan. It is to cover myself medical legally and it's to bill out. Like, that's all it is. And if we're trying to like prove how smart we are through a note, it's just It's not. It's not where you prove your smarts. It's in what patients say about you and how you show up as a person. And that always can't be translated through text. Absolutely. And I think, you know, to be a
1: flawed individual is to be a human individual. You know, I was telling my son, I have an 11-year-old son, that the other day I had submitted a bunch of different essays to different publications and had just gotten tons of rejections. And I was like, you know what, buddy? That really hurt. Like, I really worked hard on that piece. No one wanted to publish it. I'm going to try again, but I'm feeling kind of down about that today. I'm feeling disappointed in that. He was just like, oh, like it's just like, oh, mom doesn't do everything right. It doesn't always work out for her, right? Like our kids or our family members or loved ones, even our friends, like if we're flawed and we share that, it's actually a relief because he wants to be friends with someone who's absolutely perfect. I mean, it sounds exhausting, but at the same time, like, can you allow yourself to be flawed and tell yourself that? Because my son was just like in recently, I had something published, and I showed him, and he was like, "Mom, you did it! I'm so happy!" You know, he was like really excited about it because he saw that it was something I had worked for and, and had some disappointment in. You
0: know, yeah, and I think it's reminding ourselves because we are highly su- successful. We have done a lot of really big things. Just because you don't get an article picked up by you know a magazine or a big publication or the journal you've been shooting for. It doesn't mean all that discounts everything else in the past. It's just Mm -hmm. like a right now. And I always tell people too, like a no is a not yet. And so like keeping that growth mindset of like, okay, what did I learn from this? What did the editor come back and say that maybe I need to clean up? Or maybe they said not at this time because we just ran an article like that, you know, it's, and so I think reminding ourselves too, like life is not scantrons, like you're not missing the question because you didn't. Get that done. It's just mm-hmm. like next step, you're you're either winning or learning. No more failing. Absolutely. And that's that reality side of the equation, right? It's sort of
1: what is actually, what have you done today? Like the the moms who made say, Oh, I was such I didn't get anything done today. And yet they saw, you know, 10 patients or they did five loads of laundry or they did all these different things. Like I compare it to kind of like a baking scale where you can tear the scale so that it goes back to zero. And that we tend to just tear all of these positive things that we're doing. And we just look at what we didn't receive or didn't achieve or didn't get done. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, 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 don't tear it. Like stay and really look at all the different steps you've taken to get here. Things you've done today, for example, you're up, you've showered, maybe I haven't. You
0: brushed you know, are your teeth. What the things that you? <laughs> you <laughs> took <laughs> care <laughs> of your people you're in charge of. No one died. Exactly. So don't, you know,
1: don't dismiss and overlook and just assume that's what everyone does. And I just need to be doing more than that. Because I think that's really unfair and, and can lead to a lot of self-criticism.
0: Absolutely. Well, on a positive note, I want you to talk more about com. Talk about your podcast. Talk about all the things with it.
1: <laughs> yeah. So the podcast has just been a blast. I mean, I just invite whoever I want to speak to and hear more about and learn about their experiences. So a woman who does like improv to help people who are struggling with trauma, another woman who does arts in hospitals, spoke to someone who really spoke candidly about his own addiction. And he's now an addiction psychiatrist. You kind of get both sides of his experience. So it's just an opportunity to highlight the people that are out doing things that are really positive and helpful. I think there's a lot in the news and elsewhere about a lot of negative things happening as an understatement. And so this is a way to sort of say, no, but look, look at all the good things that are happening. And then I do try to do some writing, try and share, you know, just information about mental health treatment, try and get evidence-based information out there because there's a lot of quote wellness information that isn't always so accurate or helpful. So I try to kind of balance that with things that have really that we've really studied anyway. Of course there are things available, things that are helpful that we don't have any scientific data on. But I really try and share the things that we do know in order to try and help people. And then as far as guilt, I mean, again, because it's been such a struggle for me and in my patients and my friends, that it's something I'm trying to write a book about right now because I want to figure it out. And I want to be able to then share that with other people because I think guilt is really creating this like drain on especially women in our country.
0: Yeah, I love it. I just subscribed to the Reflective Doc podcast, so thank you very much. Awesome. Thank you. I am a podcast dragon, not a light consumer. So <laughs> you've got some huge names on here. I'm As I'm like scrolling through, I'm excited about this. This will be wonderful. Well, lady, thanks so much for coming on Dr. Meepers. It's been my honor and pleasure to sit down and talk with you. I'm so glad now that I can call you friend.
1: Absolutely. Please do. Please call me again. Thank you, Erin.
0: Have heard it takes a village to raise a child. But you know what else? After raising that child, and once that kid has grown up, it takes a community to care for them. Communities are what keeps us sane. They help us heal our trauma, they dance with us when we're winning. Without my online communities, I would have never made it through burnout. And I certainly would have gotten through the shitstorm of this pandemic either. If you too need community, I want to invite you over to my badass Slack group. That's right, I'm not going to be on Facebook, but I do love me some slack. It's a place where you'll find that you're not the only one. You're not alone. You'll get total validation on what's going on with you. There's a pool of resources. Community is active and ready to welcome you in. We are all helpers who have needs. And sometimes we need to have a community that can surround us, protect us, give us a hug, and lift us up. And that's what the badass Slack community is. So come join me today. Link is in the show notes.